Hey, what's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Let There Be Talk. Today is Monday, October 23rd. It's actually Monday evening because I just woke up. Yeah, just woke up. That's why the episode's late. Had like a 5 a.m. flight this morning from, um, from Austin. Uh, not, I mean, I had to be up at 5. The flight was like at 6.55 or something. But I was going to fly home last night. And, uh, you know, just first of all, I'm, I'm jumping way ahead, but I had one of the most incredible weekends. And I, I say that a lot on here. I always think like this was the all time greatest weekend. And then I, I kind of sit back and think, wow, man, you know, uh, it's been pretty damn good. Uh, you know, it's 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 hard work and it's a grind, but. As I look at what's going on right now, as far as me out there doing comedy, uh, I couldn't be happier doing stand-up every night and uh, going out with some of my favorite comedians on the planet. And this weekend, I was in Austin, Texas. There's all kinds of uh, bucket list shit going down from the weekend. Uh, I worked with Bill Burr, and every time I work with Bill Burr, I just sit back and it's like watching ACDC. If I could watch ACDC every night back when I played music, I would probably be a way better musician. You know, and that's what it's like to, uh, to open for Bill. You get to see him for hours at a time and how he, he changes things up and how he responds to heckles and, and different rooms and different lighting and different sound systems and and, uh, you know, different orders of the bits never does like the same order or anything. And, and right now, man, he's got about, it was funny. He got off stage. He goes, shit, man, I think I got like two hours of stuff, too much material. <laughs> it was hilarious to hear, hear somebody say, I got too much material. I love that, man. I want to get to that, um, to that level, you know, and that's, what's great about working with Bill, not only to uh, be inspired and learn, but also to get to hang out with a friend of mine who's crazy fucking busy these days with his TV show and his new baby and, uh, of course, his uh, wife and his uh, career and everything. Uh, you don't get to hang out with your uh, friends as much as you like in this biz because everybody gets busy and it gets crazy. So to go on the road with him is always uh, just incredible, and I, uh, I never take that lightly. I, I, I don't dick off at all. I just sit back and learn, which was, and, and like I said, bucket list stuff this weekend. Got to do Austin City Limits, that famous, famous venue where they shoot the Austin City Limits on PBS. Uh, it's been going since 1974. I can't even believe it. The longest-running music show. Uh, the pilot was with Willie Nelson back in 1974, and I got to tell you, I could feel Willie. I could feel Willie all over that uh, that that city, you know, Willie Nelson. If you haven't heard this Willie Nelson and Sons, this new uh, this new record, go on YouTube and look at the clips of him and his sons playing. It is just incredible. Anyway, I got to do that room. Uh, three incredible sold out shows and it's, uh, Bill and I were saying it's got to be the best sounding, uh, small theater, semi kind of a little arena 
venue uh, we've ever been in. It's it's strange when you do comedy in a bigger venue. Uh, I do it when I go out with like Burr or, or Russ, Mark, uh, Russell Peters or Mark Marin. I'll do these big venues and uh, you'll go, whoa, these are different animals. I remember specifically early on uh, when I was going to open a huge arena with, uh, with uh, Russell, I remember talking to Mark Marin about it. And he goes, man, you got this. Just uh, remember one thing. And he stopped me in the parking lot at the store and he said, go slow, go slow. And I didn't understand that. And he said, when you think the laughs are over, they're still going. It takes a minute for the whole room to laugh together in a bigger room. And I was so glad he gave me that tip because that is the, uh, the number one thing that I, uh, that I think about when I'm on stage. And when you're going slow, you're in it too. You're living it. You're not steamrolling over everything. You're in it. You're living it. Anything can happen. A lot of times you'll speed up because you're afraid of a little silence and somebody might say, you suck. <laughs> but uh, I enjoy sitting in it now. Looking around, I'll even sit there and look at the people for a few minutes. You know, all uncomfortable and weird. Like, what is this, man? This is, I don't care how many times you do it. It just seems weird. A stranger is on stage and uh, I'm there to make you guys laugh as the opener. You know what I mean? The opener is usually a stranger. Uh, the headliner, if your headliner's doing arenas, maybe if small pockets here and there might know you. But not that whole place. If they did, you would be selling it out. Anyway, got to do that place. And uh, it sounded amazing. Uh, like I said, most big rooms, they're, they're too tall. So the laughs just kind of wash up. You don't hear them. Or the laughs go straight into the stage because you're up higher. Or uh, it's echoey. Or the sound system is not equipped right for you know it's made it's focused for music or whatever you know it's just all different um different things can come into the uh, game when you're doing a monster room and this thing stepped on it and you don't know because you're not like sound checking like a band for an hour like all right let's go out and sound check it's stone cold walk on and go oh this is what it is and you start to adjust but this room was fantastic all the people that worked there were amazing. They were all crazy friendly. And, uh, and all the fans were great. I went out in the crowd after each show and tried to meet a bunch of people. Everything about it was just a 10. So thank you, Austin. Great, great weekend. And after Saturday night, we went and saw Jimmy Vaughn at Seaboys up there on, uh, what is it, South Congress Street. Seaboys, uh, amazing bar. It uh, just looks like something out of Roadhouse. And uh, Jimmy Vaughn just tearing it up with the Oregon three-piece. The guy on B3. I want to get this guy's name real quick because, wow, was he uh, he's smoking. Uh, B3 players, of course, you know, if you've heard me over the years, I think that it, all bands that I really love, they seem to have um, an incredible B3 player. Like... Like the Black Crows, once they got Ed Harsh in, the uh, the band changed. You know, uh, all the band, Almond Brothers, man. I mean, 
the whole soul of that to me is uh, is Greg Almond playing that B3. I'm looking up this Jimmy Vaughn record while I'm doing this, so I'm kind of fucking in. Uh, which, by the way, we were uh, Bill and I were at this show, and it was uh, Jimmy Vaughn's record release party for this. Um, let me find this out uh, of this stupid fucking iTunes, man. Here we go. Boom. Found it. Jimmy Vaughn. It's called Live at Sea Boys. Featuring, this is the B3 player's name, Mike Flanagan. And the drummer, Frosty Smith, which I guess has passed away in the last, uh, I, I don't know, maybe six months or something. But this is the Oregon Trio, Jimmy Vaughn Trio, and the guy on Oregon, Mike Flanagan. Uh, not only is his organ playing amazing, his tone was amazing. A lot of times B3 can be high piercing ice picky, just tearing your ears up when they go into that. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a B3. I don't know what the fuck. You know, that kind of shit. Uh, that could just soar your fucking head off. His tone was incredible, and his vibe was great. And he um, he uh, sang like a motherfucker, too. This guy could sing great. Jimmy Vaughn and Mike Flanagan would, uh, you know, they would uh, take turns singing. And Jimmy Vaughn did uh, The Incredible Texas Flood. Uh, the Stevie Ray song, and, and 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 we met him, and he was so fucking cool, man. So cool to meet Jimmy Vaughn. So we did that, and then we went to uh, F1, which I've never been to an F1 race or or you know, uh, open wheel uh, race, and it blew my mind. Talk about an adrenaline. Man, we were right on these perfect, perfect section of the track where these it was like an S turn, and we were seeing some serious racing going on. Man, it was so rad. What well, I mean, and then it couldn't get any better. With this, is why I'm late with the podcast. We uh, decided to change our flights and see Primus, and uh, I've said this. Over and over, uh, you know, over the years, and recently in the last couple of years, I've been I, I've been saying it when I see Primus. I just saw him at Columbus, Ohio, with Metallica when I did that uh, show, Rock on the Range, with Jim Brewer. I said it then. I said it last year when I went and saw uh, Primus with Tool, Rory Scovel, and I. I said it, and uh, and then I thought back to the other times I'd seen Primus, which is many times. Uh, one of the great ones was me and my boy Fletch drove to Fresno to see Public Enemy Anthrax Primus. And, um, you know, every time I see this band, I just go, wow. Wow, man. So outside the box. If you look at the Bay Area, and I was talking, I got to meet the band again. I, I, I had met the guys years ago, and they didn't really remember me. But, of course, being in the Bay Area, we started talking, and Larry was like, oh, yeah, I listen to your podcast. And, and Tim was like, oh, yeah, man. You know, cobwebs, it's 30 years. You know, I get it. Um, but as we started rapping a little bit, you know, uh, we, we were laughing about the old San Francisco days. But um, if you look at the 
these bands that came out of the Bay Area we're talking about, you got, there's like four, like Grateful Dead, Primus, Metallica, and Faith No More. And the reason I mention them is, if you look at those bands, they're all so outside the box. None of them were set up for uh, like, we're going to be famous. We're going to be huge rock stars. It was never about that. It was just about dudes playing music and the love of, of the art of it, man, or, or, or just getting something out or going down and putting on the fucking guitar bass and, and drums and stuff and, and going for it and just getting shit out of your head. If you look at those four bands, they're still around right now and they're still playing which is incredible, incredible, man, you know, because of how different they are. And they still, all of them push, push the limit, man, you know, push the, they push it. They don't just go out there and do the greatest hits, tours, none of these uh, four bands. And they go out there and they, they work and they, and they just, man, it just, it, it's just so good. And, and what really gets me off is there's people at the shows because that means that people still care. Like, I want to go see something different than what the fuck's on the radio or what the hell's on TV or anything. I want to get out of the house and I want to take a journey. And this Primus tour, I'm going to tell you, if you catch them right now while they're out headlining, uh, you got to see this. It's two sets. And uh, the first set's like the, uh, uh, you know, the retrospective throughout the records. Which, uh, which man, the song selection was incredible. Uh, and then they take a short break and they come back and they do the new record with this incredible psychedelic show with all these great uh, video footage behind them, these weird little forest movies of animals and stuff. It is, it's just, oh man, it's just inspiring. I look at that stuff and it makes me think even more about my comedy. Like, God, I want to get, I want to get a little more adventurous. I want to tell some more stories. I want to get, I want to get loony out there, you know. And I can't tell you right now. I cannot tell you how fucking cool Les, Tim, and Larry were. Man, Bill and I, we hung out with them. Uh, they were the nicest dudes ever. It was just phenomenal and. I'm hoping to get uh, those guys on the podcast. I really do. And if I don't, doesn't matter. Uh, I'll never forget that night last night. Go get their new record right away. I got it on vinyl. I just posted it up on my uh, Instagram. Get their new record and uh, follow them on Twitter and Instagram so you can go see them when they come to town. I don't want to hear anybody going, oh, when are they coming? Oh, I missed them. Go see them. Uh, okay. Speaking of go see him, uh, another, uh, comedian on my show. Once in a while, I like to have comedians on and, uh, I think it's great to promote people that I think are incredibly super cool, super funny, and, uh, just great humans. Uh, you know, like I, I, I love to have musicians on. I love to have people that make stuff handmade. But uh, I'm in a business every day of my life with comedians. And I, I hang out with guys all the time. And once in a while, I'll be like, I got to have this guy on. I love his story. And I love uh, what he's about. And that's who my guest is today, Mr. Aaron Berg. He's a New York comedian from uh, Canada originally. 
And his story is amazing. This guy has lived a bunch of different lives. He's a lot like me. Uh, he's an older guy. I forget, I forget how old he is, but he's not some kid in the game, but he crushes it. He goes on every night at the stand. He's got multiple records out on iTunes, including a brand new one that came out a little while ago when I recorded this. And I was going to put it on sooner, but I wanted to wait till it got up on iTunes. We talk all about that. It's called Mr. Manners Live from Long Island City. And it's only $5.99, guys. Go buy it. Uh, it came out August 25th, but uh, so it's brand new, you know. He also has a couple books out, which we talk about. This guy works his ass off. He holds the world record for the most spots done in uh, a night, 25 which is insane, and he talks about that. 25 spots. I thought I was a badass with seven in L.A. I was like, which is really hard, seven in L.A., by the way, uh, because of traffic and, and, you know, and all that and, and getting stage time in L.A. So to do seven, I, I at least count that as 15 New York spots. <laughs> uh, that's me tooting my own horn. Who else going to do it? Anyway. Aaron Berg, I want you to follow him. Uh, great guy, and uh, I can't wait to see him in New York. I will be back in New York November 13th through November 26th. You can catch me at the stand every night, and uh, I'm sure Aaron will be on a lot of those shows together with me and come see us together. It's always fun. I'll also be in Iowa November 2nd um, with Bill Burr at the Surf Ballroom. That's the last spot Buddy Holly, Big Bopper, and Richie Valens ever played, and they died on my birthday. That is spooky and weird. I got to get the fuck home. I got to make it home from that gig. New York, like I said, I'll be out there. And then uh, December, I think, 8, 9, and 10, Sacramento with Joey Diaz. Some fun stuff coming up. Uh, I love all you guys. I wanted, to, I wanted to tell you one last thing. I ate the fuck out of barbecue this weekend in Austin. I ate barbecue. Uh, I'm Deegan. That's meat once in a while in great cities with barbecue. That's a Deegan diet. And I, uh, I got to fucking cool out now, man. I ate barbecue the whole fucking time. Uh, okay. Episodes brought to you by my fantastic guitar sponsor, Earthquaker devices you play music you play guitar bass keyboards uh you sing anything you want some kind of effects you want to sound cool you want a stomp box you want to be a guitar god go to earthquaker devices they make the finest handmade boutique pedals in america made in america right in Akron, Ohio. Earthquaker Devices has all kinds of stomp boxes. Every sound you're looking for. And uh, just speaking of that, I want to say Larry's uh, pedal board from Primus. Wow, man, this guy had amazing pedals. We got to get him some Earthquaker stuff in there. Uh, EarthquakerDevices.com. Follow him on Instagram. Follow him on Twitter. Tell him I told you about him. Get yourself some pedals. Watch their uh, demonstrations on Instagram. They crush it. Earthquaker Devices. Also, my other sponsor, two years straight now, the incredible El Cajon Harley, which my boy Greg Riley and I are about to head to um, Arizona this weekend for the All Things Comedy Tour, um, which is uh, its not a tour. It's an All Things Comedy Podcast Festival. If you're uh, living in Phoenix, 
you got to go to this. I'll be doing a live all uh, live. Let there be talk. I don't know who my guest is going to be. Trying to figure that out, and I'll be doing stand up. But everyone on the network is going to be there. Everyone. That's this weekend, Thursday and Friday. I'll be there, and Greg Riley's going with me. And we're going to go out and ride these new damn Harleys. Finally, I'm finally going to get on one of these new. 2018s you can do yourself the same by going to el cajon harley and asking to test ride or maybe just go in and fucking say fuck it and buy a damn motorcycle don't listen to anyone don't listen to your girl or your mom or your dad or your brother or your conscience (laughs) just go in and get a bike just do it get on two wheels man what are you doing not riding? It's 103 degrees here in L.A. today on October 23rd. What the fuck? There's no winter here. Get on two wheels. Burn rubber. Ride all year around. Save on gas. Save on time. And be dangerous. Be dangerous. You want to live dangerous? <laughs> I'm so out of it. I'm like upside down. I slept a little bit and then I woke up and then I slept a little bit. Oh, I'm all, I'm all fucking cuckoo. Anyway, El Cajon Harley. Love him. My sponsor. All right, guys, we're going to get into it. One last thing before I uh, go. Shout out to the donations uh, on, on, um, on uh, Patreon. So fucked up here. Patreon. Scott Zumsteg. Thank you. Zumsteg. Crazy name. I like it. Scott SZ. What's up, SZ? Scott Zumstead pledged a little uh, donation on patreon.com slash Dean Del Rey. Greg, Greg just upped his uh, donation. Thank you, buddy. And Olivia Berkman. Thank you, Olivia. One of the five women that probably listen to this podcast. I know this podcast is the, uh, it's the heavy metal concert of podcasts. It's all, all sword out there. <laughs> Olivia Berkman, thank you so much. I love you guys. Thanks for listening to the intro. And thanks for all your support. Keep the candles lit. Mr. Aaron Berg. Oh, yeah, Aaron Berg. How are you, buddy? Good, Dean. What's up? Oh, man. Thanks for doing the podcast. I got to tell you, before we go and get, even get into the show, this is my second year in New York, and I think that you're probably my favorite person I've met here. Like really? you are, Well, you're like the fucking nicest guy 16 years in, mm-hmm. man. It's so wild. You know, yeah. you're from Toronto, right? Toronto, originally. You start comedy up there? Yeah, did it, it sucked for years, and then, you know, after six or seven, you get good, and then uh, slugged it out for like 10 years up there, but because I was like a bluer guy, there wasn't a lot, there was a lot of places that I had issues with, where they're like, you're too dirty. Uh, Yuck Yucks up there was always great to me, where they, they let me do whatever I wanted, and but it just seemed like I hit a ceiling. Like I could supplement my stand up work with, you know, acting work, movies and T V and stuff, but it wasn't it wasn't what I really wanted to do and I didn't feel creative. So I knew New York was the place I had to be. Was it was it hard to move here? Because like you know, like 
I mean, well, that was well, how long you been here? Because Ari, you know, had Ari on, and he yeah. gave me the whole rundown of how to move here with the brokers and yeah. and the money, what it cost, and everything. It's crazy. It cost me tens of thousands of dollars to move here because I had to get immigration papers, and that took three years just to get a visa. And then you can move here on a visa. You can do stand up, but you can't get TV work. So, like Law and Order tried to get me for an episode. After I auditioned, they're like, oh, you don't have a green card. You can't do it. So, oh, what's the... the, the, the uh, an O-1 visa is what Canadian comics have to get. And it's like an extraordinary talent visa, quote unquote. Because <laughs> I do. I was so good at penis jokes. So, the, <laughs> so they gave me uh, that. And then I had to get two of those. And then I got a green card. Green card was eight grand. Those two visas came out to like 12. So that's 20 grand in paperwork. And right. then the trips you would make to get here to meet people and to net like I knew nobody when I started coming down. Yeah, right. Yeah. Lewis was one of the first guys I met and Lewis used to produce shows, so he started putting me up on some shows and and then you get into one or two club I got passed at a bunch of clubs right away, but then a couple clubs didn't want me, so I moved down. Then you're like, and paying tons of money for rent and a move. I left my fiance. I was engaged at the time. I wow. left. Yeah, I left it all. Gave it all to do. Now, now, you were you a male stripper? Mm-hmm. Is that how you were getting all your money? No, that's years and years ago. That was before. That was like in my twenties. I'm going to be 45 this year. Wow. But uh, yeah, it was before that. But I thought about going back to it like two years ago. Once I got sober and I got back in shape, I was like, maybe I could go supplement my income. And I walked by one place and I just had flashes of how um, disgusting it was like back in the end. The people you work with are just fucking animals. Just animals. Wow. Yeah, they'll rob you. You know, like real criminals. Wow. Yeah. Well, now, was it was it women coming or or gay dudes? Well, when I stripped, you'd work the week the weeknights and Friday Saturday was all women. And when I started, there was a club where you only dance for women. It was in Brampton, but the money wasn't as good. So there was this club downtown Toronto where the money was great. It was like the closest they had to Chippendales in Canada. So I got in there, and there was like an amateur night. And then once I started working. And then you work on a Friday and Saturday, and like if you want to work the Friday Saturday, you got to work the Sunday, and the Sunday was for gay men. Wow! Yeah, so wow! Yeah, it was. Now <clears throat> you know it's funny because I have uh, I DJ'd a few um, like bachelorette parties. I used to you know DJ, and they would have these male strippers show up, and they were always such like weird dudes. Yeah. And I remember one time. This chick pulled this guy's uh, speedo down. He was furious, mm-hmm. and he had a rubber band around his package. Yeah. No cock ring, a rubber band. Yeah. What was that about? That's like, what you, I used to you use. Fluff it up. That's called tying off. You get hard, yeah. and then when you're hard, and by the way, real pros, you know, it's not easy to, you know, you just sit next to a dude, you start jacking off. Yeah. <laughs> How was your day? You didn't pay for the truck yet? Like that kind of thing. You yeah. jack, and we would smoke a joint back and forth. Wow. So you'd be passing it while you're beating your. It's so Wow! Horrible. You use the other hand, so then you use jack the off for the joint. Jack off with lotion, then you tie an elastic around the base of your cock and balls to keep the like a poor man's cock belt. ring. Yeah, but they work. It works better than cock rings. Oh, I got Elastics it. work better, but some pretty serious damage on the you know a few years later. Oh, really? Yeah, 
my dick doesn't work nearly as well as it used to. Wow, that's yeah. fucking crazy. And then, and so that way you would have kind of why not just stuff your package? You know what I mean? Because you you go naked. You want to show? Oh, you, oh, you go. Oh, you yeah, go naked. I went naked. Yeah. Oh wow. That's how you make the real dough. And oh. then I went to a club in Niagara Falls and stripped called Peppermints, where they didn't go naked. They're like, you can go naked if you want. I was like, fuck yeah, I'm gonna go naked. I went naked, made more money, and then I walk out. My tail lights are busted, like the other guys. Oh, like, yeah. the oh other they were guys, pissed. Yeah, the like, other guys were pissed. Whoa, yeah. fucking this guy coming in, going showing naked. his cock all over. Yeah. Wow. Now, when you're showing your cock, isn't the rubber band on there? Mm-hmm. Wow. But they can't really see it. Yeah. I mean, they they kind of look. As we're doing this, I got a FaceTime from my mom. It's hilarious. <laughs> your my mom, mom, did your mom did your mom know you were a stripper? My mom came and watched me one night. It was horrific. I didn't know she was there. She wow. showed up with my aunt. And wow. I told them, I was like, yeah, I'm doing this, but uh, I don't get naked or anything. They showed up, and of course, she saw me get fully naked. They were like in the back. I had no idea they were there. The next wow. night, she told me, we came to watch your show. You're very talented. You seem the girls seem like they like you, and you're having fun up there. Yeah, very positive. Wow. Yeah. How, now, how long did you do that for? Year and a half. Year and a half, and then what gets you out? You're just like fuck these people. Well, this I mean, I I talked about it extensively on uh, Ari's podcast, but I basically kind of ended up living off the avails. Uh, I just left, and I was like, I'm out. I got rid of my beeper. Yeah, threw my, my beeper out. Threw my yeah. beeper out. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> that's how old we are. Yeah, People are like, beeper? Yeah. What is it? What's a beeper? <laughs> that was the only way, remember? Yeah. There was beepers and pay phone. Oh, you never yeah. give your home phone number out. Fuck no. Page me. And then uh, I went back to university, which Americans call college, and I finished my degree in philosophy. And then from there... I got into like personal training and stuff like that, and that kind of yeah. Because you were bodybuilding too. Yeah. I saw some photos. Yeah, I was bodybuilding when I was stripping. I got better as a bodybuilder once I stopped stripping. Now, how do you get into comedy? Um, and who are your guys back then? Because you're what forty five. You're going to be forty five. So you're right around the Eddie Murphy, uh, but you miss Kennison and Dice, right? Well, I mean, I my initial influences were Pryor. Like I went to the original great, so it was uh, it was a, had to learn about Pryor and Bruce and Kennison and watch that stuff. But I mean, what I watched when I was younger was Dice and Pryor. But you knew that there was predecessors to that so you know it was like i was a huge kinnison fan and uh huge prior fan those were my guys it was like anything that fell short of that was garbage so that that's i mean i didn't try to start working like that i just tried to start by being funny but it was horrible hack shit like songs i would try and sing even though i couldn't sing and uh and then uh, I wouldn't get up there and be like, belt out of tune, but I'd be like, wouldn't it be wacky if George Michael released a song that was more accurate? Like, I'm whacking off before I go-go. Don't leave me hanging in the bathhouse, yo-yo. And it would, would get last, but you know how hokey it is. Yeah. So it was like, did that. And then I think, and then I started telling the stories from when I was a stripper, and that it took a while, but once that got good, I was like, okay, I've got something good stand-up-wise now. So that was how, that gave me the formula of how to work. I mean, I don't really do it anymore. Because yeah, you don't do that style anymore. No, Is that because of moving to New York? Because I notice when I get to New York, I, like, uh, re- recently I got a new bit about uh, selling stuff on Craigslist, and I do it at the stand, yeah. but I can feel the, uh, the tense of, like, get to the jokes quicker, yeah. get to the jokes quicker. 
there's something about it where the challenge, and, and I mean, there's some guys that stay pure with it. Ari stays pure with it. Yeah. I like, I like killing. Like, I like crushing, and I'm still addicted to it. And I like the rhythms that come out of working a crowd like that. You know, like the, the big laughs and the applause and the groan. Like, I like that part of the dialogue. It's very jazz-like for me, so I like conducting it like that. And I feel like if you want to work on something in New York, you have to say, okay, I'm willing to take less laughs right. on this to make it good. Right. You, you have to do that. So it's like. That's where I'm at right now. Because yeah. I'm like, fuck, man. There's some flat spots. But in L.A., the, the, it's it's a different style. It's a kind of storytelling and you know what I mean? And and so I get here and I'm like, so I think what it does to me here is I figure out how to do both in the story. Some yeah. jokes Boom, 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 boom. But you're following me on the story. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, when I was a storyteller, that's what I had to do, too, was put more jokes. It'd be great if it was more accepted that you could do like almost a solo show format, which is where stand up was going for a while. And people still do it in Edinburgh, where instead of just doing an hour of stand up, there was an hour of storytelling with a through line. You know, Jeffries was good at it for a while. I don't know if he still is, but. Right. Um, Al Madger was killer at it. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. He, he'd go on Conan and do a, a five minute bit that's only about, you know, picking up a day laborer. Yeah. And it crushes all the way through. That's oh, great. Yeah. <clears throat> and I asked them how they do that. And they, what they do is they, they tell the story and they see where the laughs are and then they punch it up. Yeah. Uh, the rest of it. Yeah. You know, you, you have little, like, if you look at Louis C.K., which is interesting because Louis C.K. is a New York comic. Oh, he's from Boston, but, you know, he's a New York comic. And his is stories. Yeah. You know, so when I got here, I thought it was going to be like that, you know? Look, I think that, but it's also different. I think that the club scene's different from the TV scene. So it's like, uh, you know, if a booker from a TV show comes and sees me and they're like, you're killing uh, it's great, but it won't work on our show. So give us something that'll work on our show. And then when I give them something that'll work on the show, they're like, yeah, it's not as funny as what you did. And I'm like, cause that's what I do. So it's like, I, I like to say this, like, uh, bombing is the new killing. You watch a lot of guys that are getting TV <laughs> spots now. They're not killing. And yeah. a lot of guys are, you know, there's a, those old tricks. Like the a lot of guys are smiling very heavily through the televised sets. Like, Hey, come on. I'm friendly. Uh, so it's not, you know, to see, you know, good stand up all the time. It doesn't happen that often to see it on a consistent basis. I think in New York, these crowds, and I think because there's so many really heavy hitters here, I think that that sets the bar for that. But there's shows that you can go and really work those stories. Like Ari's show was great. And yeah, I'm sure that it'll be, yeah. And I'm sure it'll be back in another, um, in another form, yeah. And um, there's, I think there's a show called Risk. Like, there's a whole bunch of places where you can do that storytelling stuff. At what point do you kind of switch to what you're doing now? Because now you host a lot of shows. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's a lot of crowd work. And, and uh, you know, I'm starting to do crowd work because uh, it, it was funny. I had Dan Soder on. Uh, Dan Sauter. That's yeah. what he says. The, uh, the the morning radio people call him. Hey, we got Dan Sauter here. Dan Sauter. <laughs> but I had Dan on, and uh, he said an interesting thing that um, uh, his buddy told him. He said, "You know, Dan can do amazing voices, and he doesn't do it in his set." And the guy was like, "That's stupid. It's like you have the ability to dunk, 
but you don't dunk. And when I started, I was so worried about crowd work, people thinking it was hacky, yeah. you know, oh, this crowd work guy, that I just completely pushed it down. Yeah. You know, now I do it. And sometimes I remember a comic told me, he goes, man, that's risky. Your crowd work gets way bigger pops than your material. Yeah. And then all of a sudden people go, oh, he's not funny now. So what do you think? Did you consciously say I enjoy doing crowd work and stuff? Because I like it because to me it's so organic. Yeah, that's what I think too. I mean, I was doing the same act for like seven years. I had an act that I was like, okay, I'm going to get this on HBO and that's going to break me out because it was all the stripper stuff. It was so punchy. It was so, it, I mean, it was an hour killer, really dark, really funny, uh, visceral you know it was like cutting a vein open it was being very honest and when that didn't take off and i just kept doing it over and over i was like you know what fuck the act i'm done with the act so it's like i'm gonna go up and build stuff so now i mean i build material from the crowd work but the crowd work is still it feels like the purest for me i know it's not the best stand-up i know that but i also know that i'm not the best stand-up and for years, I was like, oh, I want to be one of those guys. I want to be mentioned in the breath uh, along with Burr and along with whoever else Attell. is up there now. Yeah. And, uh, but, I mean, Attell does a shit ton of crowd work, too. Attell's a great writer, but he mixes it in with crowd work, so you can't even tell what's written and what's fucking jokes anymore. Right. So I was after that, where I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm, maybe I'm not that guy. Maybe I'm not going to be, uh, oh, you got to see Aaron Berg for biting political satire. So then I'm like, maybe stand-up should just be fucking fun. And if I'm enjoying it and they're enjoying it, I don't think there's wrong. And I think... I think it's almost hacky to say hacky anymore. I think I say that too. Like, <laughs> these hack yeah, police, these ha and yeah. most of them don't even do spots. Yeah. It's hilarious. They're in the hallway, like you know, yeah. they're totally angry people. And they're like, "Oh, this fucking guy's so hacky." Meanwhile, yeah. they didn't do a spot for a week. Yeah, I know. And, th and then you watch them get up, and you're like, "Real? Come on!" Yeah. There's a lot of people that shouldn't fucking open their mouths about comedy. Yeah. There's, I, with the exception of maybe ten or twenty guys, a lot of people should shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a lot of guys that talk shit about comedy. I just saw you dancing around doing a song up there for three minutes. Don't come at me like you're the next Chappelle. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, these motherfuckers. No, I, I, don't forget, I have eyes and ears. Yeah. I just saw what you did. Yeah. That doesn't eviscerate itself. So it's like, uh, to, yeah, people shouldn't. It, it's supposed to be a fun fucking thing. And when you accept that, when you stop beating yourself up and beating audiences up, like once you start to enjoy it more, you know, you don't blame crowds anymore more you're like I, d I didn't hit with everything i could but yeah. i i gave them what i had and they got you know so i don't blame audiences anymore if i don't if i don't smash or i don't hit as hard as i wanted then it's on me then it's like i wasn't present enough or there wasn't something you know so i that's how i get better and i and i don't think it's a beat yourself up thing anymore but i mean maybe that's also why i'm not one of the top guys in the world i don't, I don't know if burr goes home every night and he's like ah fuck this fucking bit didn't work because fucking and i've been there i've been I, there was guys I remember getting buried after. I'd stay up drinking all night and figure out how to get better. And it's like, I don't know. I don't feel that angst about it. I'm not angsty about stand-up right. anymore. It's, yeah, a, it's, yeah. it's a joyful thing for me. Like, it's the happiest part of my day when I do stand-up. Oh, God. It's all. It's the only reason I'm walking, walking around. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's the... Look, at I come to New York, uh, spend all my money just so I can fucking get better, yeah. you know? And it's, uh, I think it's so great to see all the different, uh, you know, different styles and the, the animal of comedy to me is so fascinating, you know? Yeah. 
Uh, like I, I was killing two years ago, like absolutely murdering for five years in. Yeah. But then I lost weight and I realized, oh, I was a fat comic. Yeah. That's what was going on. They yeah. were laughing at the movements and the character and the voice and the jokes. Mm-hmm. Now it's just the jokes. Yeah. And if they're not fucking as good, it's going to be some a lot of medium going on. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It's crazy. Now, you, you're doing comedy now like 16 years. And you just, is this your first record coming out? Third. Third. Yeah, third. So you you got two other records before this, and no specials or nothing, right? No, I haven't done a special. Now, are the records crowd work? The first one was material and crowd work. Second one was all crowd work. The one that just came out is basically the first. Yeah, everyone has a gimmick. Is basically uh, the first time a stand-up has done an audio book in front of a live audience. So what I did was take my first book called Mr. Manners. I have two books out. One's Mr. Manners, Proper Etiquette for the Modern Degenerate. The other one's American Etiquette, Failing Upwardly in a Fox News Nation. First one is horribly filthy. Second one was clean and political. First one way outsells the second one. The second one's horrible. They're books, uh, huh? Yeah, they're books. So you actually I, write books. Yeah, so I took the first book, and I was like, I always wanted to put that material on stage, but I'm like, I can't memorize like 30 chapters of stuff. and do. So I was like, I'm gonna, we're going to record it. We'll do a reading. And the day I got there, I was like, oh, this is going to bomb so bad. I'm like, we're going to, I told the guy, I'm like, we may just throw this out and I may have to do a brand new crowd work album. Right. Like while we're there, he flew in from Toronto <laughs> to record it. And he's like, no, it'll be great. I'm like, I don't think this is going to work. And I went up and I'm like, here's what's happening. I'm doing this reading and uh, let's see how it goes. And two shows, 75 minutes each, both killed. And made an album out of it, so it's uh, and that's written and and really well written. But it's like my hardest thing is memorizing. Like I can write these big ranty things or these cool stories, yeah. But memorizing that, like my hot chocolate story that I did on um, Comedy Central, was like an eighteen minute story. I remember just breaking down in tears trying to memorize that story word yeah. for word, just being like, "This is so hard." That's the hardest part for me. I can write well, but it's to memorize it and to go on stage with it i think the hardest part for me is uh i tell the story so organic the first time yeah and it crushes like if we're at a party yeah and they're like dude tell that story about that time you called Corey feldman and i'm like oh yeah man and i tell and then they go hey tell that one again the next night and it's it's not as funny because it's funnier to them or whatever, yeah. you know what I mean? To me, it's like, oh, that was just a day that happened. It was crazy funny, but I, I can't build up the uh, anticipation that they do. Like, when they go, this guy's got the fucking funniest stories. Yeah. And you're like, oh, man. You know, stories are really interesting. Now, when you recorded that thing, uh, you did it at what the uh, standing room? The standing which room. It's a small room, but yeah, like two, holds like twenty five. I think it was like thirty four. We had for each show, yeah. so it was like two shows, and both uh, like I think first one was sold out, second was closed. It sold out thirty four people. Anyways, it was busy enough, and the acoustics worked well enough that it sounded great. And what's it about? Mr. Manners is how to be a gentleman while doing horrific shit, doing cocaine with movie stars. Uh, so it's all based on uh, true stories. All true stories. Yeah, all true stories. But then, like, made as like I'm this uh, complete gentleman, and I'm explaining to you how to do it, like how to have a threesome, and it's like 
all these different ways. And if you and your friend are going to attempt double penetration, you have to have strong legs. Otherwise, yours may buckle and your balls could hit his balls and push his balls into his stomach. <laughs> it's all, it's, it's now really. Now, you sat down and wrote this? Like, yeah. Wow. How long did it take you to write it? A few months. And then, uh, yeah, the whole, I had a process because I did those books back to back, like year to year. So I had a process. I'd basically write it over the whole summer and then we'd send it to an editor and they'd edit it and then we'd get it all together. So it would take like seven or eight months for, for a book. And you'd do it every day. You bang it out. You bang a chapter out, you know, three pages a day, three page chapters. And I'd bang them out for maybe 120 days, get 120 chapters, get rid of all the fat, and then go with the best ones and then send them off, get them edited. You pay an editor and then uh, that was it. Wow, man. That's pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. Three books. Two books. Oh, two. Yeah. And two then books, three albums. Three albums, yeah. Right. Wow. Now, you released this record uh, on Friday, yeah. and it, it, it's banned from uh, iTunes, iTunes right now. Is it banned permanently or? Uh, I, I'm guessing they're trying to get it back on. Uh, what happened was he's like, okay, at 12, we'll start doing promo. So I'm like, okay, so I'm waiting around. He's like, yeah, there's a problem with iTunes. It still hasn't released it yet. Can we hold off? So I kept waiting. I, I booked, you know, the whole day off to promo the album because you want to open well. Absolutely. So I'm waiting around. I'm like, dude, it's 4 o'clock. What's going on? He's like, the problem is they, they won't print one of the titles because one of the titles is proper etiquette to having sex with a black girl fag hag. So the problem that they had was with the word fag, and it wasn't even the word fag. It was F asterisk g right and they're like we're not gonna put this up so i go i go i go all right well fuck itunes let's go who else is carrying he goes amazon and google play and i'm like all right so i get uh i mentioned it to some of my friends some of my friends tweeted out we start selling albums and uh and then later on they're like it's still it's still not up and i was like fuck itunes man so i mentioned we're banned on itunes the next morning i think we mentioned we were banned on itunes but right away I think because we weren't on iTunes, it drove so much traffic to Amazon because people couldn't get it. So I opened right away Friday at number one. Wow. Gaffigan's album came out Friday, too. Wow. So I'm like, oh, my. this And, you know, with those things, you're like, oh, it'll last a few minutes and then we'll be bumped down yeah, to yeah, 42 yeah. or something. Because that's what I always see people screenshot. And I'm like, oh, you caught it when it was up for a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you're like, we're, we're number four. Yeah, I, and then you I did, love the shit. Yeah, you're the Fake it till you make it yeah, thing. Yeah. Uh, proud to have another number one comedy album. Oh, so you, bad. You, you forget to put for seven seconds mm -hmm. on Thursday. I know. That, and there's so many guys that do that. So I didn't want to be that dick. So I didn't, I didn't say anything until like midnight Friday. I'm like, oh, we're still number one. So I'm like, hey, we're doing number one. Thanks for buying it. And then uh, Saturday, I go, we're banned on iTunes. Uh, they won't print it. So then we start looking at it. And then I realized they have Eddie Murphy. His title's printed as faggot. Right. Uh, they put two asterisks in it. And I'm like, why can Eddie Murphy do it and not me? So we started pushing that, and they're still on it. And then last night, I'm like, holy shit, we're still number one. This is insane. And I think because it was banned, and I started getting tweets of people being like, fuck iTunes, just bought it on Amazon. Fuck iTunes, just bought it on Google Play. Um, and don't get me wrong, iTunes covers my other two albums, which is still, which have horrific content in them. Right, but right. They're not listening to the content. They're just offended by the buzzwords. And then yesterday, I talked to Artie Lang, and he goes, hey, I'll send a tweet out for you. So I send him the tweet, 
And, and he puts a tweet up, and uh, it had a phone number on it. And I go, Artie, there's a phone number on that. You just gave someone's phone number out. And he's like, oh, God, how do I take it down? I don't know how to take it down. <laughs> I don't know what to do. So Artie Lang freaking out for seven minutes trying to figure out Twitter. Uh, <laughs> and, and then, uh, yeah, and now uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's still number one, which blew my mind. I can't believe it. And, uh, and I love Gaffigan. Gaffigan always has four albums in the top 10. So, yeah. you know, it's not hurting Gaffigan's bottom line, but it's just so nice to be like, oh, shit, I was number one for a weekend. So it's a, it's a great thing. That's fucking great, yeah. man. It's such a weird thing. Like, wait a minute. You got like, you got death metal in iTunes. Yeah. Uh, which has massive satanic. Gangster rap. Gangster rap. Yeah. Uh, some of the biggest gangster raps say uh, all kinds of crazy shit yeah. going all the way back to NWA and, 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 uh, no Vaseline by ice cube. Yeah. And, and if you listen to any of our, uh, record, uh, all the old dice, all the old, yeah. uh, Kinnison, all that stuff. And, and, uh, but then, then it's like flagged. Yeah. You know I mean, it's like, what are you doing? Like, if you were a giant star mm -hmm. and they knew they needed, they're going to get that money and stuff, yeah. it would have just blown right up there. Yeah. You know, so where are you at on it now? I don't know. I talked to him today. He's like, still haven't heard back. So, I mean, they, that's two whole days. Yeah. You know, usually, and I talk to you, you're like, yeah, sometimes they take 12 hours. I've which seen is that, yeah. To be expected, but. 48 hours later when you're like still haven't released an album. That's crazy. I know because I, I do this podcast uh, and on Thursdays I, I would do these episodes called bitching and it would be just instead of having a guest, it'd be just stuff about I'm bitching about, you know, or whatever. And I knew that it, I was so leery of getting my podcast flagged that I did the asterisk. It's just B and then T, you know yeah. what I mean? It's it's such a sensitive world. I think it's going to be great for stand-ups that don't change what they do. I think the stand-ups that are going to listen to their agents and managers because they're trying to get stuff, and they the, you got to be clean now. You shouldn't say this. I think those guys are kind of going to disappear into the ether. I think that the real stand-ups that hit hard are really going to be able to find a fan base that is not offended and that wants, because counterculture now is going to be that kind of edgy rawness you know right. that's going to be counterculture again which it should be so i think that it, we just keep doing the stand-up that we do it, it's going to get bigger and bigger I, because people are going to have to seek it out because everything else is so politically correct i believe i've, I've been saying this too i believe in the next couple of years that comedy clubs are going to be just like these escapisms from these people like I got to go where they where they talk like people human beings yeah human beings now look uh I'm not saying to be racist or homophobic or anti anything or whatever what I'm saying is if there's no malicious uh, uh, malicious intent right. behind it and it's conversation because the people that point at everyone are, I always trip on it. Like, are you saying that you're completely clean? Your skeletons are, there's nothing, your closets, you know? Right. Everyone has, uh, you know, demons. Yeah. Most of the congressmen that are against gay marriage are usually getting caught, getting sucked <laughs> off by some dude in the bathroom. <laughs> it's always that. The ones that raise the biggest yeah. hell are the evilest behind yeah. the curtain. Yeah. It's, yeah, you're right. It's wild, man. What do you uh, what do you see here in uh, like you've been how long you been in New York? Six and a half years. Six and a half years, and 
you see comedy getting bigger here, like a course in LA in the last five years, it's absolutely exploded again. I mean, I, I think that I think on the club level, it's going to maintain. I think that there's going to be uh, a bust and an echo because Netflix is putting specials out every week. So I think people are going to start to get pickier about what they see, which is probably a good thing. Uh, I mean, they're churning out so much and comedy is such a thing right now that it, inevitably it has to dip a little bit, you know? It's great that they're paying guys forty million dollars for a special, but I love that. Yeah, that's it's it's gonna come back down. Yeah, and also I think uh, people are just gonna be like, oh, another comedy special. Yeah, it's almost special not to have a special. I see some that aren't special, like even a comic that I liked. I saw him, and I'm like, those are styrofoam letters behind you. And I was like, <laughs> someone just put them on popsicle sticks. Like his name was spelled out. I was like, oh god. Not a lot of people need them. They should go back to just giving them to, you know, the top 10, 20 guys. And the rest of the people could be like, hey, here's, you know, keep doing albums until then. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, I mean, like, you know, everybody's such in a hurry. to. And also, I think if you're going to do a special, 30 minutes is where it's at, you know. Yeah. Because unless you're uh, uh, Chappelle... Or these guys that have like a, a solid hour mm -hmm. where you go like, that's a craft. And, and most people are just like, well, I got an hour. And it's like, really? You know what I mean? Because yeah, these, these big guys that have these hours, they work on them for like a year and a half. And you see them and they're primo. Here's when you should do a special. If what you're saying is hilarious and really reflective of what's going on. If you're taking stuff... Like Chappelle's new stuff where he's talking about the hot button topics and Bill Bill does it too where he's like, here's the thing, here's the thing about trannies, here's the thing about people labeling racism, here's the thing about Nazis. If you're going to do a special like that, do a special. Otherwise, it's like, yeah, do a half hour silly thing. I mean, I like a lot of really silly comics, but I, I don't think you need a special unless it's special. Yeah. Who yeah. you into uh, these days? Uh, who do I want? I mean... It's mostly just guys that I work with every night that I'll be like, oh, that was a funny bit. And that's it. I don't really watch. I mean, I love Ari and I turn his special on. I'm like, oh, I've seen all these bits at the club. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't need to watch it in a different venue. I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll watch it so his numbers are good and I'll tweet it out. But uh, yeah, you know, Ari J, we work with the best comics in the world all the time. So yeah. it's Ari J, Attell. Uh, I think Chappelle's, I, I love what Chappelle's doing now. I mean, I watch his specials. I thought that Next they were level, fantastic. right? Yeah. I mean, it's just so, it's, what's, it's what stand-up's supposed to be. I want to see what Jon Stewart's going to come out with. I'll tell you that. I'd like yeah. to see his special. One-man shows are, are uh, I really like the Neil Brennan three mics. I saw that. I didn't watch the whole thing. Right. But Neil's a great writer. I uh, liked it because, I liked the, the second mic, the honesty one, you know, because, yeah. man, it was so dark. Yeah. That 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 was crazy to me to see something so dark and real and then a one liner or whatever, you know. Yeah. It's a it's a great concept. I like that people do that. That's another reason you should have a special if you're doing something really different. Yeah. Remember Stanhope did one with a whole bunch of music behind him? Uh he had a guitarist with him. Yeah. Stanhope's old CDs were amazing. Stanhope's last special, uh, the one in Portland, it's only about 50 people where he opens up with his mom uh, having cancer. I didn't see it yet. That's, was it CISO? Was that the CISO one? Um, no. Uh, it was right before that, I believe. Uh, it's like two years ago. Let me tell you, one of the best specials I've ever seen. Yeah. Because it opens and you're like, 
whoa, he opens with his mom having cancer and they're going to help her have suicide, yeah. commit suicide, just like the book, you know? And you're looking at like, where is this going to go? You yeah. know what I mean? And I, I, it takes something to me to figure, like I'm trying to figure out how you can do really dark material uh, other than having your own audience. Eventually you have your own audience and they let you, they go for that ride. Yeah. But I like to do dark material in an audience that's not necessarily your own audience. Yeah. Because that is, to me, some old-fashioned button pushing. Mm -hmm. Like, wow, look at these people. Yeah. These people are clamming up. Yeah. And my only worry is uh, not being able to work, you know? Yeah, that's something that goes through your head where you're like, you know, you're still trying to get in a whole bunch of places and work and make a living. So it's like, I don't want to fuck this up by turning this crowd. But I almost miss that. I miss pissing people off and remember you'd get into arguments of it now you get you get the fuck out yeah get the fuck out and once in a while i'll go through it now but it, it, it's so rare but i miss that that button pushing the other night someone was like you're you're just mean last night she's oh, yeah. like you're just mean and i was like no nah, i'm picking on people but it comes from a good place and then sure enough a minute later she's laughing and i'm like i gotta go she's like don't go and i was like you just thought i was a fucking dick a minute ago <laughs> so it's amazing how they can come back around but i miss those i had one of those at new york where this girl goes you're not funny we want the next guy to come on and i go to this guy i'm like you fuck this cunt and, uh, yeah. and he's like, what the fuck you say, man? I'm gonna wait for you outside. And I had a jacket and a tank top on. And I dropped my jacket. And I go, why you want to wait outside? I'm right here, motherfucker. Oh, really? Yeah. And then uh, he go, he goes to reach for a bottle. And I'd seen it having so many. I go, don't reach for the bottle. It's gonna be the biggest mistake. Don't do it. <laughs> and uh, he washed his hand. He's like, I'm fucking out of here. And he stormed out. Wow. Pushed the door, and the door came back and swung and hit his chick in the face. <laughs> And I was like, I'm like, oh, I guess we won. And then uh, I'm like, I don't know if they're going to be waiting outside. But the guy was waiting outside. He was really angry. He was down the street. And I was like, I don't want to get into this thing now. So I just waited for him to leave. That was it. But yeah, he, he wanted to go. Wow. It's good to, it's good to push those buttons. It makes you feel alive again. <laughs> and there's no security there that night either. So I was like, oh, I'm in this alone right now. <laughs> no security. Yeah. And they usually have great security over in New York. There's usually like three three guys over there. Yeah. Yeah. What what what's your favorite club in New York to stand? Mm -hmm. Now you pretty much go on every night. Do you enjoy hosting? Because you're so good at it. I always say there's people that are killer at hosting. Yeah. Uh I love it. I mean, I'm gonna cut back on it. Yeah. Be because it's like it, it's getting me really funny and it's it hosting's great to make more money in the city. Um, but yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to ease off. I'm going to start doing more sets so that I can just get to doing more sets and, and try and build some stuff to, you know, when you're doing a set, you got, you got more room to breathe, but hosting is still, I feel like when I moved here, I started over, even though I had like credits and I'd been doing it 10 years, it felt like, and I never used to host in Canada. So it felt like starting over and, and rebuilding, but now you're, you're, you're playing, you know, in triple A instead of like single A. And right. so it's like to try and get to the majors, you need that experience. Now, what about Montreal? Have you gone to that at all? This was my first year. I went there uh, this year and it was very successful. So we're hoping I go back next year. And uh, what'd oh, you do up there? I did uh, Big J Okerson's crowd work show and I did a bunch of warm up for them for the uh, 
all access tapings. So oh, wow. uh, yeah, it was a great experience, and all the shows went great. So I'm really hoping to go back, and uh, I, I would love to do the Nasty Show. That's the show that I've had my eye on for a while. So. Hoping to do the nasty show and maybe do like a, a one man show type thing. I used to do a one man show that went off Broadway that was all about the stripping stuff. So, hoping to do that and then uh, sell a TV show based off of that. That's the goal. Now your wife's a comic too. Yeah. And you guys are about to have a baby in a week, bro. In a week. In man. a week. A week in a, so I have. We're supposed to go in on the Thursday at three in the morning. I yeah. booked the Thursday off, but I have work on the Friday and Saturday. Oh. <laughs> and I'm trying to tell her I'm like I'll, I'll be there the Thursday but Friday and Saturday I gotta go to work so we'll see and I think also I don't think I want to be I, I don't like hospitals so I don't want to be and I, don't get me wrong I'll be so excited to hold my daughter and see my beautiful wife but I don't like hanging out in hospitals right for a long they time smell. I don't know what it is me I just either. don't like it yeah. I don't like it it's my biggest going to the hospital is the worst thing so uh yeah I, and i mean her mom will be there my mom will be there so i think if i'm like hey i'm gonna go do sets for three hours i don't yeah. think there's anything wrong with that yeah yeah she well knows. i mean that's how you guys are gonna f put food on the yeah. table yeah now she's a comic how do you think she's gonna step out for a while uh no i mean she look my wife i love so much and but she has problems with reality when she's like okay so we'll have the baby and then i'll i'll take her with me to sets i'm like you can't haul a baby around to sets when a baby i said we have to hire a nanny i don't want a nanny i'm like well then you're not doing stand-up so yeah. you can stay home with the baby you want to play this 1950s game we're gonna play this <laughs> 1950s game i'm not gonna i well take the baby with me i'm like you're not taking the baby to these dump clubs where you get strep throat from talking into a microphone. It's all dirty. Yeah, it's filthy. Yeah, yeah on He's, the subway. <laughs> yeah. Pop on the subway with your newborn. It's horrible. <laughs> so I'm like, I mean, I think she'll be out for, she She just recorded her first album, Nine Months Pregnant. So she's a, you know, she's a trooper. She'll keep going. She wants to go, she wants to open for me in Philly on Friday. And I'm like, you're not coming to Philly. And then she's like, well, I'll be with you. If the I'm like, the doctor's here. You can't drive to Philly. You know, she could burst at any moment. So, Oh, my God. You so headline in Philly? Doing Philly Comedy Club, but it's uh, it's a newer club. Um, you should do it next time you come. But And then uh, I got something in Connecticut on Saturday. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go. She's like, yeah. And they booked her to open for me. I'm like, she's not going anywhere. I told them. I'm like, she's not going anywhere. Book her for another date. <laughs> and then they didn't even take her off the poster. I'm like, you're not fucking listening to me. I'm telling you, people forget how hard it is to be a man. They're all listening to the women now. That's it. As she said she wants to go. She's going to burst with a baby at any time she can't go. Women, we marched for this. You marched so much. My wife can make 50 bucks in Philly. Is that what you oh march for? God. Pays 50 bucks. 50. And I got to drive in the car with her. Oh. Every bump. Ugh, ugh. <laughs> Try to rock out and listen to the Zach Brown band. I got to listen to this. Zach Brown. <laughs> what kind of music you listen to? Right? Yeah, like, I, I like country nowadays. Country, jazz. Uh, I just crushed the hubcap while I was listening to some Zach Brown music. Zach Brown. Yeah, and a little ACDC sometimes. Yeah. Some old school rock. When I'm at the gym, old school rock. Rock, you know whenever Classic. you hear acdc you just accidentally start stripping mm -hmm. <laughs> she was a fast bon machine it was, it was is a, that what you I was Living on a prayer? yeah 
Living on a Prayer? Yeah, it did Living on a Prayer. It did, uh, oh, God, so many songs. I can't, oh. Uh, what kind of money was on that strip? cowboy oh, yeah. steel horse I ride. Wanted, wanted, yeah. dead or alive. Desperado I danced yeah. to, the Eagles. Uh, money was up and down. It wasn't great. You make more money for gay men, usually. Yeah. Uh, some nights you make good money for the girls. If you were in a bad mood, you'd make shit. It depends on what type of mood you're in, because you had to go around and hustle to get dances. So oh, if yeah. you're sick of them, you'd be like, you want to dance? Uh, like, nah, nah, I'm good. Go fuck yourself. Uh, oh. You're a fucking asshole. Yeah. You should go fuck yourself. Uh, Brandon, take it easy. That was my stripper name. Brandon, you can't yell at them. Oh, this fucking whore. Brandon. <laughs> I'm going upstairs to shoot some more Winstraw. Br- Winstraw? <laughs> What's that? Steroid. Helps with cutting. It's fantastic. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go shoot some Winstraw. <laughs> Dude, you got a twisted life. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, it was great. You're a stripper. <laughs> oh, my God. I think you're the first dude stripper I've ever uh, talked to. Yeah. Dante Nero used to do it. Oh, Dante yeah, he was did. telling me that. Yeah, you can't tell now. He looks like he ate four of them. But, oh. uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and a pit fighter. He used to pit fight people in Brooklyn and the Bronx and shit. Whoa, really? Like, yeah, like for money. They'd go and they'd like, meet whoa, up. Whoa, like it. those yeah. backyard fights? Yeah. Whoa. But in alleys. Wow. That shit's dark, mm-hmm. right? Pit fighting. Yeah. Man, that is fucking... Oh, I, I love this city, man. Yeah. It's got some fucking insanity, right? Yeah. <laughs> L.A. must have it, too. There must be some real sketchy guys there. It does. It does. But, but I've the, been outside the store where you're like, oh, there's a lot of weirdos here. Well, the thing about L.A. is you're in your car most of the time, so you're not, you know, you're not shoulder to shoulder with the lunacy. Yeah. Here, you know, you really feel the lunacy, so it's way different. You're in it, you know? Yeah. You're definitely in it. In your car, you're looking at it, yeah. but you're not in it. You're driving through it. Like, yeah. look at these freaks. Yeah, here you're in the middle of it. You get thrown in it. Yeah, man. Shit. You know, uh, one thing I, I love about you, it, you're a lot like me, man. You like real estate. Yeah. You know, you're like... you're That's our hobbies. Yeah. Just looking at real estate. In between sets where this... Yeah. Uh, I'm like, whoa, look at this pad, man. Uh, like, I love looking at real estate, I you love know? it. Yeah, I want a house. I think it's good to have... I mean, I guess because we're older now, we dream about that shit. And cars still. I mean, I'll look at trucks and, you know, just stuff that you want. But I found... For me, there's no, you know, when I was younger, you'd be like, oh, if I get a TV show, I'd grab all this money right away. For me, it's like a steady, steady, slow and steady. You know, every year is better than the last, and I just keep going slow and steady. So it's good to have these dreams to keep you... to keep you there, but it's never going to be like, hey, I just got 80 grand. I'm going to go drop it on a truck today. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like you're going to keep saving, and then, you know, you, you have this shit by, uh, by the end, you know, or so hopefully get to enjoy it. That's what I'm starting to find where I'm like, I'm just grinding so much. I need some time to just enjoy it. And I think that my daughter will help inspire that. I think like once I have a daughter, I'm going to be like, oh, I want to stay home with my right, kid and right. be like, I don't need to run around for, you know, a hundred bucks or whatever tonight. I'll stay home and just, uh, 
But I, we have this poverty mentality. I don't know if you do, but I have this thing where it's like it took so many years and I struggled for so many years and lived in shitholes that I don't want to go back to that. So that's why my work ethic is what it is That's now. the same with me. I, 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 there's no way I want to do construction. I'm 51. Yeah. How, what am I going to do? Construction or sell cars or yeah. motorcycles? I, I've been there yeah. and I'm like, I can't go back to that. Yeah. So it makes me work even. You know, look, I fucking work seven days a week podcasting every fucking day then writing jokes auditioning doing stand-up yeah. you know anything i can do never to go back that's the scariest thing in the world yeah it's just for me it's to be poor again that that's such a like when i when i lived in like harlem and shit and i just remember that and i went up there like last week for another show and i was just like oh fuck i can't believe i lived here and it's it's just like you know to to move ahead constantly and that f that fear is what motivates me the most and now it's like and my wife's not the same where i'm like look we have to have i'm not like i don't think that we're going to be like this one percent but i'm like i want the best of everything for my family like i'm sure any father does you know so it's like we're gonna work hard we're gonna send our daughter to the school she has to go to and shit but then it's also like you know maybe the kid's gonna fuck up if she goes that way so maybe there's something about something to be said about you know coming from humble roots and it seems like most of the people that really make it in this world are the people that have the shittiest childhoods that yeah. have to struggle the most and it's really you know i i mean i came from a good enough family where i could have gone that route but i think it was all the choices that i made to be a degenerate that made me a better person yeah fuck yeah. I, I i believe me you know growing up completely poor and I'm still poor now. Yeah. You know what I mean? By all standards. Well, I'm this is a lovely place we're in, by the way. For the listeners that can't see, Dean is in a really nice place in one of the best neighborhoods in New York City right now. But here's <laughs> the thing, though. Not my place. I've yeah. never owned a house ever. Yeah. I'm 51. And I've never really had that desire to own anything. But I've always wanted to have... To me, making it is like... If I could have a crushing one bedroom yeah. right around here somewhere, yeah. I mean, I might. That was like you can't hear the neighbors, can't hear the subway, and there's no rats or, or roaches. Yeah, you, know? you go. Okay, I've made it. Somewhere where you go, I want to live my life here. You know yeah. what I mean? To me, not having a place out in Jersey, like look at this, I've got property yeah. now, and I, because like I was telling you, you get into that. Ah, I'm not going to drive into the city yeah. tonight, and then you change. You start to get these roots that it's so hard to get off yeah. the couch. You yeah, know? that's my fear. I mean, I, you see, I keep looking at these houses upstate, and I'm like, man, I just fantasize about how nice it would be to live, but none of that fantasy involves stand-up. It just involves, like, exactly. I'll go out on the fucking rowboat and go fishing with my daughter. And, yeah. Yeah, stand-up, fuck that. Yeah, but then you know, like, let's stay home and have a bottle of wine. That's where that's where the money comes from. You always yeah. forget about the job, yeah. you know, because I keep going like, fuck, I think I could move to New York if I just really, and then I'm like, Fuck, I don't want to move here, though, and completely starve out in six months. Yeah. Like, uh-oh, you know? I'm I mean, not 20. The beautiful thing about New York, and I said this, you know, I did 25 shows in a night. Yeah, that, and, that's the record, yeah, right? And it was all on the basis of, like, I know it'll work out because in New York, everything works out. Like, comedy-wise, everything works out. And it did. So it's like just to trust that. And it's also a city that kind of takes care of its own, you know? There's... There's just this magical thing here. There's there's something about it, but you know, after a while, you get sick of it, and you're like, oh, what a shithole. But uh, 
Yeah. Know. At first, yeah. it's so. I remember when I first went. It was so romanticized yeah, right. when you first get here. But that, I'm in that phase right now of New York. I'm just like, and and that's like when I'm I, I became the big fish in a small pond in San Francisco. Yeah. And I took the chance and moved to L.A. and fucking didn't you know I was just like starting all over. But I felt so alive, you yeah. know. And that's how I feel now. I've been in New L.A. 16 years, and now I come to New York, and I'm like this. I can feel this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a, it's a great city. I mean, it's best place to do stand up. Before you go here, run people down on this because uh, somebody's going to go 25 in one night. How the fuck did he do that? But run people on how you did 25 spots in one night because I've done seven in L.A., which is probably like 25 in yeah. New York. But uh, how did you do it and how does it work? Uh, it's Because they got comedy starting at like five o'clock. Yeah, here. the comedy starts on a Saturday. Uh, there was like a four o'clock show. So Were you it, setting out to do it? Yeah, what happened was I think I was doing, I had like, when I started picking up momentum, I would get maybe eight or nine spots on a weekend. So I remember one night doing nine and I was like, there's all this downtime in between. And I, and I was more bored sitting around than running around doing so. I'm like sitting, having a coffee by myself in Washington Square Park. And I'm like, there must be a way. And I'm like, I wonder how many I could do. So first I was like, oh, Steve Byrne had the record for 13. And I'm like, I could, I could crush 13. So I wrote down, I'm like, I think I could do 19 in a night, like with all the club connections I had, the places I worked at. And then I started talking to people, and then someone's like, oh, you should shoot it as a doc. And I was like, Did okay. Did you do that? Yeah, so we put it all together. I have a meeting right after this. We're going to do, get the final editing done at 7. So, oh, uh, that's sick. Yeah, I can't no, wait no, to no, see no, that. Said, yeah, so it's close. And, uh, and then I went, and I charted it out. And then the week we were supposed to do it, some girl guitar act was like, hey, I did 16 sets in a night. I broke the record. And we're like, it was just weird timing. And then we looked into it and saw she didn't really break the record because it was all like open mics. And then she had done three shows, quote unquote, on subway platforms oh, where she's just playing her yeah. guitar. And we're yeah, like, yeah, those yeah, aren't yeah. shows. Yeah, so yeah. we negated that. But I was like, just in case, let's go more. So I scheduled 26 and, uh, and are you in a car to do it or subway or foot? I had a car. We had two cars for the crew and for me. We drove around. So we were on schedule. And then the car, the windshield wipers gave out and it was pouring rain. So I had to run on foot for a few of them. And uh, I had 26 scheduled and I got 25 done. And while you're doing it, you're like, yeah, hey, most of these are going pretty well. But then you look back, and you watch it, and you're like, ooh, that was a bomb. That was <laughs> So, you know, most of well, them. Well, now you're getting into also, like I say, you know, even when you do three a night, you're like, did I do this material already? Yeah. You get all fucking loony. So I can't even imagine getting past 10. Yeah. Uh, it, di it didn't become a problem until after 20 because a lot of it was crowd work and a lot of it was just elevated thought. There was one joke that I did throughout the night. But the rest was just like, all right, let's just go. But by the end, your brain is so dead. It was like, you have shorts on. <laughs> shorts. Are, you have a shirt. Like it was that kind of like trying to find comedy in that. So it kind of started to, to tinkle out. And then the last set was horrible. It was at LOL in Times Square. But it did it. And it was 25. And then, uh, yeah, started at four at the Creaking Cave and did a show there. And how long were the sets? The longest was 17 minutes. The shortest was three and a half minutes. Okay. So it varied all in between. There were some places where they would run late. 
some guys were so selfish. I remember being like, hey, can I do this? And, and he's like, nah, nah, you got to go after this. And I'm like, hey, he has nowhere to go. Can I get So it really shows people's true colors when you're trying to break <laughs> this world record. And the guy's like, well, I don't want to have to follow you. And I'm like, come on. Like, just oh, take one on the chin. Stupid. So, uh, but it was, it was such a great, I couldn't do it now. I don't think, I think I'd get way too tired. And it was only two years ago. But yeah. back then, I feel like I, had, I wasn't married. I had extra energy back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow, man, that is! I can't wait to see that. And what you got to put it out? How long is the documentary? We're gonna try and sell it. It's a, it's an hour ten, around an hour ten. So fuck, we're that's try cool, and sell man. It. Yeah. What's it called? Do you want to have a name yet? No. Twenty five. I, I kind of like Comedy Iron Man. I think that's a cool yeah. title, but then it sounds weird. Maybe Iron Man's. A, I don't know. They got to find a title for it. Maybe the Grind. How about like twenty five and not Adele's record? Yeah, twenty five. <laughs> <laughs> you can get Adele's name in there. It'll come up in Google searches. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, uh, I'll see if I can get banned on iTunes again. I can't thank you enough for uh, just being cool, man, uh, over the last couple of years. Always, man. I think uh, you're hilarious and such a pleasure to be around. Thank you so much, and thank you for doing the podcast. I'm looking forward. Uh, I know this uh, record's eventually going to get on iTunes, so give everybody the name of it one more time. It's uh, Mr. Manners Live from Long Island City. It's on Amazon and uh, Google Play right now. Mr. Manners Live from Long Island City. Aaron Berg. And uh, your Twitter and Instagram? Twitter is at Ehrenberg Comedy. Instagram is the same thing, at Ehrenberg Comedy. And all my dates and stuff are on Ehrenberg.com. And uh, an early congrats on your, uh, you, uh, you and your lady are about to become parents. That's yeah. super cool. Thanks, man. And uh, congrats on that, that documentary. I'm looking forward to seeing that, man. Thanks, Dean. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Let There Be Talk. Make sure you check out Aaron if you are on the East Coast. Uh, he's at the stand pretty much every night, uh, an incredible club. And check out his, uh, his other records and his other books. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Candles lit.